Well, if you joined us last week, you know that um, I began a sermon that I only got about halfway through. And so I'm going to come back today, and I want to pick up, I'm going to finish that. But just to catch you up, in case maybe you weren't here or didn't catch it, I'm going to spend like the first about three minutes to catch us up where we were. If you remember, we started um, on Mark 8, where, where Jesus is with his disciples uh, in a ship, and they're going somewhere uh, to do some ministry. And uh, Jesus says to them, uh, his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And of course, Jesus is using this opportunity um, to talk to them about the doctrine of the Pharisees. Uh, but the disciples, being the disciples, and we're not going to beat them up because if it had been me or you in that boat, we'd have been thinking the same thing they were thinking. They thought Jesus was talking about actual bread, right? And um, they felt bad because they began to talk among themselves. It's like, well, did you bring the bread? No. Did you bring the bread? No. And between all 12 of them, they only had one loaf of bread. And they were like, we've been doing ministry all day. Jesus is hungry. He's asked us for bread. And, you know, we're just a bunch of losers. We can't even think to bring the bread uh, to feed Jesus. And Jesus knew what was going on, and he realized, hey, I better step in and help these guys out like he was prone to do. And he was like, look, guys, you're missing the point. You're, I'm not talking about real, actual bread, right? Remember us talking about that. He said, even if I was, if y'all, if your memory's so short, do you not remember you know, me feeding the 5,000 with, with five loaves and two fish? I, I take care of 12 with one loaf, okay? Stop, just hang on. I'm not talking about that. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament, and says, Do you have eyes but fail to see? And do you have ears but fail to hear? And you know, we've kind of been tracking with this theme of, of having the eyes of the kingdom and having eyes to see as God would want us to see as His people. And I made the point last week that we can have eyes that look but still not see. And this was the, one of the, the primary things that Jesus spent his ministry doing, especially with those 12 disciples, his inner circle, was trying to get them to really see. And we established the fact that a big part of our problem as followers of Jesus, and one of the things that God has a hard time getting us um, to comprehend is to see properly, right? And it's not a new problem. It's a very, very old problem. We jumped all the way back to the Bible's first book in the book of Genesis where we have Adam and Eve in the garden. And if you want to know God's, um, if you want to go God's intent for humanity, and if you want to know God's intent for the world, you always need to go back to the beginning where it started. Because in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. We know that narrative. The first few chapters of the book of Genesis shows you God's intent for the world and humanity. We talked a little bit about that last week. But, of course, humanity failed, and, and, and then it just messed things up altogether. And we established the fact we read the moment where Eve succumbed to the serpent and she partook of the forbidden fruit. And the way in which the enemy, Satan, was able to deceive her was he got her to see differently than the way God had her see, right? So he, he comes up to this tree that God had 
had, had, a, had said, you know, you can have every tree in the garden. The entire garden is yours except this one tree. So God's got them seeing properly. I want you to see abundance. I want you to see how much I love you. I want you to see everything I'm giving you. 99.9% of this entire garden, it's yours. I've given it to you as a good gift. And, and I want you to see this one thing that you cannot have. I want you to understand that the reason why you cannot have it is because if you partake of it, it will bring death. The day you eat, you will surely die. And I don't have time to get down all into the theology of what all that is and what it means. And no, it's not an apple tree probably. You know, just so you know, but but we don't have time to go there. Maybe another day. But but God says this one thing you got to see properly, see abundance, see everything in this garden. It's yours. It's a good gift of mine. This one thing is not yours. It's off limits because if you partake of it, it will bring death. They were fine until they started seeing differently. And the Bible says that when Satan came and tempted Eve and said, um, did, did God say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what God said. He said, i got to eat every tree except this one tree. Well, God knows that when you eat this, you're going to be like, like him. This is the way you really need to be seeing, right? And the Bible says that when Eve saw that the tree was beautiful and that it was good for food, so she begins to see differently than God has her seeing, right? And when she begins to see differently than God wanted her to see, that's when they fell. And that has been humanity's thorn ever since if God can get us to see properly then he can save us and dare I say we can save our own selves a whole lot of anguish and suffering and so we kind of dove off into this concept and and last week I left off the point I left off with was was Jesus the whole ministry and the life of Jesus the reason why he came was to show us how to see, to show us, the Bible says he came to declare the kingdom of God, which the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, was firmly established in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall, when everybody was seeing right. This is what the kingdom, the reign of God looked like. Peace, prosperity, abundance, no pain, no sin. No anguish, harmony, union with God. He reigned in heaven and on earth. This, was, this is what kingdom looked like. And then sin entered the equation. It messed everything up. We begin to see differently than God wanted us and created us to see. And we have this whole list of history within the text of your Bible of how we begin just to mess it up. And not only did we mess ourselves up, we messed creation up, we messed the world up. Everything got messed up. And so Jesus says, I've got to come to show them. I've got to come correct their vision, right? So he sends his only son. Jesus is there. And the Bible says he was the express image. We read this last week in Hebrews. The express image of the invisible God. He was the exact incarnation. It was, he was who God was. The radiance of God's glory. The exact, not close, the exact, the writer of Hebrews says, representation of God's being. So Jesus comes and he shows us who God is and what God is. 
and how he moves, how he sees, how he operates. And, 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 and if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus, not Zeus. If you want to know how God feels about you, look to Jesus, not anything else. Because he is the exact representation, Hebrews says. He would tell his disciples, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because they were asking us, show us the Father. He's like, look at me. I'm showing you who my Father is. I'm showing you who God is. How he thinks, how he operates. This is who God is. And he wants you to see and think and move and live like this. Okay, so I caught you up in seven minutes. Okay. we got to see right. And the next point I want us to grab here is, and it, this is important. I preached all last week to say what I'm going to say today, okay? The reason why it's important for us to see like Jesus is because the way of Jesus looks foolish to the natural eye. The way of Jesus looks foolish to the natural And if you trust your human nature and you trust the way your human nature wants to see, you will miss the kingdom every time. Because the kingdom of God does not fit in the broken world you and I have been born into, and have been conditioned by. You and I have been conditioned to see, to act, to move, to live in a world that is not based upon the kingdom of God. It is based upon sin and the brokenness of humanity ever since the garden. And so if we are going to see like God wants us to see, we're going to have to understand and learn one thing. I've got to see differently than the way my culture and the way the world has conditioned me to see. And the way of Jesus will always look foolish to the natural man. Don't believe me? I'm glad you asked for proof because it's in your Bible. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the great apostle Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, the message of Jesus and the cross, it is foolishness to those that have not been redeemed. To those that have not been introduced and have become a part of the kingdom of God. Why does the cross look foolish to the natural man, Paul? Because the cross doesn't look like you're winning. The cross looks like... You lost. The cross looks like Rome and Caesar and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. It looks like they won. And if you're looking there standing at Mount Calvary on crucifixion day, and we're going to be celebrating Easter in just a few weeks of how Jesus rose from the dead. But if you're there and you're beholding this man named Jesus 
dying horrific death at the hands of the Roman Empire, nailed to a cross in between two criminals, you would never stand there from a natural perspective and say, He's King of Kings, He's Lord of Lords, and He reigns and He rules. You would only say that if He was sitting on the throne in the palace in Rome. But you see, your natural man doesn't see true reality. That's why we have to learn to see differently, Paul says. Because from the natural perspective, it looks like Jesus lost. It looks like Caesar won. But he comes back in the book of Colossians, Paul does, and says that Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. See, Rome thought they won. The Pharisees thought they won by putting on the cross. Actually, Jesus won. And not only Jesus, you and I that would believe in him won because through the cross, he took the charges that came against you and me that would send us us to eternal judgment and he put them on the cross and he said debt paid and in this way Paul goes on to say he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities oh man I've got way too much material to get through today okay and I've got to finish it today I can't come back next week because we got something important next week so just hang on buckle up I'm going to fly through some of this stuff, okay? I, but Paul says, in this way, Jesus disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities. So from the human perspective, Rome won, Caesar won, case closed, Jesus and his movement is extinguished, they're done. But God says, whoa, 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 there's a kingdom that is more real than what your natural eye can see. And over in the real kingdom, he took your debts and he put them on a cross, paid them. And that wasn't it. All the spiritual wickedness and authority in high and low places that thought they won, that gave Jesus their best blow and their best shot by getting him on the cross, they actually did something very foolish when they put him on the cross, the Bible says, because they opened the door to their powerful powerful principality and kingdom, the kingdom of the grave and darkness. And when they let Jesus into the grave, he busted the place up. So much so, if you read your Bible, that when he resurrected, the Bible says there were saints of old that had been died and gone for centuries that were seen walking the streets. Jesus busted the grave up when they let him in. He didn't. He didn't lose. The Bible says he defeated the spiritual principalities and authorities. And then watch this. He, I love this. He shamed them publicly by his victory. No, look how Paul's writing this. He's not writing about the cross from a place of defeat. Oh, look at our, our, our poor pitiful Savior up there on the cross that Rome you know, just annihilated. No, no, no. He, he's saying, look at that cross it's victory, and up there is not a man who is shamed, but he is shaming principalities and spiritual rulers and authorities publicly, not by his defeat, but by his victory over them, not on a battlefield wielding a sword, but on a cross. 
you've got to get this. Because if you don't, what I'm about to say is going to make you mad. Okay? How's that for a transition? But you've got to see through kingdom eyes. Because if you don't, you will walk through this world messed up in your emotions, messed up in your mind. You will walk through this world thinking the opposite of what true reality is. And God forbid you'll do it in the name of Jesus. Because we've been conditioned to see by a broken world, not by the kingdom of God. You following me? You tracking with me? And if we believe that Jesus accomplished all of that in his death on a cross, then it also matters in how he lived his life. And Jesus lived differently and he spoke differently than anybody had ever heard anybody speak before. And he lived differently than the rest of the religious leaders and elite of the day. And he lived so differently and he offended them so badly that he ticked them off to where they began to lobby Rome to have him killed. In the name of God. And if you think that we've evolved and improved from those people today, then you misunderstand the broken nature of humanity. We all are susceptible to the same thing. And one of the things, there were many things, I don't have time to go all into all of them, but one of the things that, one of the things that, that, that just, they could not wrap their minds around when it came to Jesus was how everything was inverted from the way that they had been culturally conditioned to see and live. Because Jesus came preaching, again, the exact representation, according to Hebrews, of God, proclaiming the kingdom and the reign and rule of God, right? He came saying stuff that offended religious elite because it went against the way that the kingdom of man, let's just call it that way, okay, that the kingdom of man operated by. I mean, Jesus would say all kind of like strange stuff like, in the kingdom of God, um, the least is the greatest. Right? Uh, he would say real strange stuff like, the, the servant of all is actually the Lord of all. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. No, no, the way we've been conditioned to see it is like you've got the master of the house and he's got servants and he makes the money and then they're the slaves and... What do you, he's on top there, and Jesus says, no, no, no. No, um, in my kingdom, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In my kingdom, actually, the strongest is the weakest, and the weakest is the strongest. I love this. You read the writings of Paul. Paul began to say, he's like, you know what? I, I've, I've learned enough about God. I've been walking in the kingdom long enough now that I, 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 I take 
just great pride in my weakness because I've learned in walking with God and as he's initiated me into this new way of seeing and into this kingdom that when I am weak, that's when God steps in and I am strong in that moment. In the kingdom of God, God takes the broken things and the weak things and he says, if you'll give them to me, I'll show you that the weakness that you perceive in your life as weakness, I actually can take it and bring strength from it, not only for your life and your family, but for all those that are around you that you will impact because they will see that I'm moving in your life, I'm working for your life, I'm in charge of your life, I've got control of your life, not you, but me, and I'll take care of my own. The greatest of all is the servant of all, Jesus would say. In the Beatitudes, the famous Sermon of the Mount, in the book of Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus would say just strange, silly stuff like, like blessed is the poor. Right? Because they realize their need for God. He would say stuff like, blessed is those that mourn, for they will become. He would say strange stuff like, blessed is the humble. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, again, to a, to a world that's conditioned by the kingdom of man, blessed are the merciful. The merciful are weak. What are you talking about? Show mercy. We're supposed to, we're supposed to establish the rule of law and then bring down the hammer and the gavel of judgment on anyone that quote-unquote deserves it. But Jesus says, no, blessed are the Blessed are the merciful, for they shall. He would say stuff like, blessed are the persecuted, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the persecuted, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I would dare not ever try to compare what some people in 21st century American Western Christianity would call persecution. I would never, I, I hate to even use that word persecution because there's actually real persecution that people have went through because of Jesus throughout history. I mean, where they're losing limbs and lives and family members because they would dare put their faith and trust in Jesus. But let's just go with the narrative, okay? All right, you, you're buckling up. Okay, you ready? Jesus says, even when you're persecuted and you're not quote-unquote winning, you're not quote-unquote in the seats of power, um, your man or your woman isn't calling the shots, and you feel uncomfortable in your faith, and you feel like your faith is being threatened, and you feel like your faith is... is Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Take a step back and understand that you are following a man that willingly and peacefully surrendered to a state execution on a cross because he understood the power of love, not hate. And Jesus says, if they hated me 
talking about people in a broken system that don't see correctly because their sight has been perverted by the enemy, spiritual wickedness, by the culture around them. He said, when, don't be surprised when people that don't see, dif- that see according to kingdom of the man begins to persecute you. They hated me, they'll hate you. How's that for a big shot of faith in your arm on a Sunday morning? But he said, don't whine about it. Don't cry about it. You're blessed. Why? Because there's a kingdom that the natural eye cannot see. And sometimes when you feel like you're losing, Jesus felt like he was losing when he felt pain and anguish, anguish, and he's crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of this horrific scene. But Paul comes along and says, he is shaming the principalities and powers of the underworld, and he is defeating the enemy of your soul and my soul. And so Jesus comes along, and and he's trying to get us to see right. And the reason why this is important is because I think, maybe because it's due to the, oh my goodness, I'm out of time already. Um, it's due, it's due to, um, you know, social media and the, the availability of knowledge and power and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And we see things and we hear things. I, I, I don't know really what it is, but I don't know if you've realized or felt it lately, the kind of tongue-in-cheek. But the last year, two years or whatever, it's, this has been culturally been a little bit of a, you know, slugfest, right? And, and there's been this segment, and the reason why I'm addressing this is because it, 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 as a pastor, it's concerning to me because there's a segment of people that walk under the name of Jesus that, at least from my humble opinion, aren't seeing right. Now, I give you permission to disagree with me. We'll chat about it because I'm not perfect and I'm not right all the time. But if from the best I can read Scripture up to this point in my life, and I spent a lot of time and a lot of money studying it so far, is, is the kingdom of God will never be ushered in on the back of Rome and Caesar. Actually, the kingdom of God flew in the face of Rome and Caesar. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because we as people of God in the 21st century, if we're not careful, we can fall prey to some of the same deceptive tricks, deceptive thoughts of good, honest people that had good intentions but just did not see properly and completely missed what Jesus was doing and accomplishing with his life and his death and his resurrection. And we all are in this boat. I don't preach or say this based upon some superiority, you know, I've got it all figured out. or I've, I fall susceptible to the same temptation that Eve had because if you look at it, From a natural perspective, it looks beautiful, and it looks right, it feels right, and it tastes right. 
But Jesus says, no, it's not right. That way will always bring death. We've got to see differently than the world around us. And dare I say, we have to see differently sometimes than even some people that fly under the banner of Jesus see. Because for a long time, there's many that call on the name of the Lord that use the same templates and definitions of the kingdom of this world and try to apply them to the kingdom of God and ascribe them to the kingdom of Jesus and it doesn't work that way. We think that power is meant to be extorted and to cause people to bow in submission and this link leaked into Christianity in a horrific, horrible way beginning in the third century. And I don't have time to get into all of that, but I'll only say this. That there was a key transition that happened in the third century where Christianity went from a persecuted minority to all of a sudden Emperor Constantine, who ruled Rome at the time, and the Roman Empire, who had a quote-unquote conversion experience. Because he wanted to wipe out and annihilate a, a, what he considered a foreign enemy, and supposedly he had this vision where he saw a cross, and supposedly he got divine sanction from God if he would just march under the banner of the cross, that God would wipe out his enemies and they could destroy and commit genocide. And so this was his great conversion. You hanging with me? And there was a transition that happened that moved Christianity from a persecuted minority until all of a sudden they got governmental power. And you get on into the middle, I'm, I'm skipping all kinds of stuff, but you get on into the Middle Ages and the church is so powerful that a king cannot even be coronated without the sanction of a pope. Now, if the kingdom of God is to be born out and come on earth as it has, is in heaven, if, Jesus, if that happens the way Jesus taught us to pray, then if there, any was, if there was any time in history that we can look back and say that the world looked like the kingdom of God's reign on earth, it should have been back during that time. I mean, the church was controlling everything. They were picking the next kings. They were doing... So let's go back and look when the, when the church is seeing in a way that is conditioned by the kingdom of man because they took... They took the idea of power and the definition of power from the kingdom of man. So this is the way we deserve, we, we, this is the way we define power. You still with me? We define power. We think power is the person, individuals, entity that's in control and can punish the lesser. We would call that person powerful. We would call the other one weak. Can we all agree on that definition in terms of the way we see things naturally, right? They are powerful, they are weak. Jesus comes along in his ministry and says, wrong answer. Don't see and think that true power from a biblical definition is power over and lording over something. 
Again, you want to know what God thinks and how he just set this world up and how definitions are defined. Let's go all the way back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden when God established everything and it was perfect and the kingdom of heaven was reigning on earth. And he goes to Adam, and you can read it um, maybe sometime this week, and he says, Adam, I'm giving you dominion over this garden. Everybody remember that? If you're familiar with that text, he says, I'm going to give you dominion. Now, from a kingdom of man's perspective, and our definition of dominion is power over, right? If I have dominion, that means I hold all the weapons, I hold all the laws, I hold all the cards, and I can exert my will over someone else, and I have dominion over them. I can cause them to cower or, 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 or surrender to my will because I've got dominion over them. Everybody track it with me? But if you look in the garden, that's not what God meant when he said, I give you dominion. When he said, I give you dominion over the garden, look at the text. Actually, what he said was, and what actually happened was before the fall, was, Adam, I'm giving you care over the garden. In other words, you are to tend the garden. You are to serve it. You are to care for it. You are to make sure that it is as healthy as it can be. You're not to exert your will over it. You're not to extort it. You're not to work backroom deals somewhere so that you can make it the way you want it. I am giving this dominion, power from a biblical kingdom of God perspective is not power over, it's service to Man, I'm out of time. I'm gonna. I'm fast forwarding all the way to Jesus. He's in a room with his disciples, and um, he's getting ready to teach them a lesson. He's about to go to the cross again. He's talking about kingdom, kingdom. You got to see different, see different, see different, see different. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus do at this Last Supper? At some point in the room, it was customary for the servant, from a natural perspective, the kingdom of man's perspective, the lowest person on the totem pole in the room was supposed to go get a basin of water and a towel and wash the dirt off of all the honored guests' feet, right? What does Jesus do? He goes, he finds it, the guest of honor, the king of kings, the lord of lords. He goes and gets the towel and the basin, and he starts washing the feet of the disciples, and they protest. Why? Because they see through eyes that have been conditioned by the culture. No, Jesus. Peter actually protested. You know, Peter's the loud mouth of the bunch. You won't. You won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. See, Peter, you see wrong and incorrectly. And Jesus is teaching Peter and the disciples that you don't bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven with a sword. You bring it with a towel. As a matter of fact... He looks at Peter in another instance, and Peter draws a sword when they come to take Jesus in the garden, and he's going to fight against the enemy. He's going to fight physically with a sword and draw blood. As a matter of fact, he swung at one of the priests and missed his neck. He was a horrible swordsman, apparently, and cut off his ear. And Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't look at him and say, finally, somebody that will fight for me. Finally, somebody's got a backbone in this culture. Finally, somebody that will take a stand for Jesus. And they'll get on the battlefield. And they'll get at, no, Jesus rebukes him. And says, Peter, if you live by that thing, you will die by it. 
I'm about to teach you in the next 24 hours what true power, what true power looks like. And you think it's raising your sword and fighting for me and defending for me and getting on and fighting the battle like a broken world fights it. No, it's you're going to watch me go to a cross and I will willingly give my life and surrender and shed my blood. I will willingly let them pull the, the, the hair out of my face. I will willingly let them put thorns through my skull. I will literally let them beat my back to the point that the prophet Isaiah said that his visage was marred so much more that you could not see the normal man that he was I will let them do that Jesus you could call 10,000 angels down and get you off this cross I certainly can but that's thinking and seeing like the kingdom of the world and I'm trying to show you the kingdom of God is different that power is not power over power is power under it's service to it's hanging on a cross and looking at the people that ridiculed you, that spat on you, that nailed you to the cross and say, Father, forgive them. Not hiring a lobbyist firm to try to get them out of office. church I know Eve it looks beautiful that fruit looks good and it looks and feels and sounds right and it's very convincing but it's broken and if you live that way, you'll die that way. If you live by the sword and you live by man's definition of power and influence, you will die that way. Jesus says, you want to know how to bring the kingdom of the earth into this world? It's when you understand, I'm not here to fight. I'm not here to wield a sword. I'm not here to try and make somebody and coerce somebody and draw a sword and put it at their neck and make them to believe what I want them to believe and you either bow or I will cut you you'll bow or I will do this or that no 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 Jesus says that don't 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 put my name on any of that stuff marching in this that's not the kingdom of God And they hate people that will dare stand up and say that stuff. But they hated Jesus too. The religious people hated him. Do you understand that? Don't let anybody back you down or intimidate you by what you believe that this book says. 
I don't care how long they've been in quote unquote power. I don't care how long they've controlled the narrative. I don't care how, how many lobbyist firms they got in their back pocket. I don't care what they say. I don't care. Listen, listen to me. I don't care who they tell you to vote for and who you shouldn't vote for and who you shouldn't vote for and this, that, and that. Listen to me. You need to get this book and you need to lift the Lord of this book up in your life. There's people under the name of Jesus. The Bible says that fear has torment, but perfect love has cast out all fear. And I don't know if I've ever in my lifetime seen so many people that march under the name of Jesus that are so fearful and afraid. If you believe that God is on the throne and you really do believe Jesus is the Lord of your life, why in the world are you? It's the only because you've defined power and influence through the system of a broken world and not through the kingdom of God. So we have the choice that we have the choice that those people did when Pilate looked at them and says, it's a custom for me to release to you one person, one prisoner on this day. You want Jesus or Barabbas? Who was Barabbas? Jesus, I'm out of time. Who was Barabbas? We don't have kids ministry, so I'm not making Rachel and Priya mad. <laughs> so just give me two more minutes, okay? Jesus, Son of God, peace lover, weak, got a towel on his hip, not a sword, or Barabbas. Who is Barabbas? If you study your scripture, study the history around that time, there were many false messiahs that would rise up in the nation of Israel that would try to get together a group of people and create an insurrection against the Roman Empire, the occupiers, so that they could establish what they would consider the kingdom of God on earth, right? They're trying to get their kingdom back. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Barabbas was a guy that played by the rules of the kingdom of man. Barabbas fought with the sword. And Pilate, in a very great twist of irony, sits two messiahs before him. Says, you want this messiah? Towel messiah? Barabbas, sword messiah. Will power the way that this broken world says wield it. And what did that crack? The, led by the religious leaders, by the way. What did they begin to shout? Give us Barabbas. Give us the sword. Give us the vote. Give us the White House. Is this a little bit too honest and real and raw for you? I'm not saying our faith shouldn't affect our real world decisions. I'm not saying our faith should be played out wherever we go and whatever arena. I don't, don't, don't misquote me. I don't have time. Like You wouldn't want to sit here for the amount of time it would take me to list all the caveats that I'd have to get to to assuage everybody's questions. Okay? Just, just, just track with me, all right? I'm not saying that your faith shouldn't be played out in every arena. But what I am saying is that we're not careful. We will tarnish the name of Jesus. 
And we will cause people that do not follow him and do not know him to think that Jesus looks more like Barabbas than he does the Son of God. And to those people, Barabbas is just another sword wielder. Why would I, why, what's different about him? What makes him so different than any other sword wielder that's trying to get my affection and my allegiance? Okay, I'll give you my final point and I'm done. To see like Jesus requires faith and trust. Because the natural man and even the narrative that you and I hear week in and week out doesn't align with some of the stuff I see. And so you need faith and trust. And so that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, faith shows the reality what we hope for. The rest of the band, get up here. Give people hope that I'm done, okay? It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith shows the reality, not your natural eye. You've got to have faith that is what shows the reality because the natural eye says Jesus lost on the cross, Caesar won but Paul's eyes of faith says no, he's up there not becoming a shame, he is making a shame of the principalities of this world that's eyes of faith and you and I in the world in which we live in this 21st century American lives that we're living where so many people have confused nationalism with Christianity I'm a patriot and I love our country. I'm, I'm thankful I'm born in the USA. Don't get me wrong. But can I tell you, I will never worship it because I belong to another kingdom that Jesus is the Lord of. He is king. He's not elected. He's king. He's sovereign. And I've pledged my allegiance to him. And then, and so this is why the Hebrews starts out and then it goes on and says this and it is impossible watch this to please God without faith it is impossible to please God without faith why because it takes faith to see the world the way I'm preaching and if you can't see the world the way that that that, that Jesus came to show us and he says it's impossible to please God so let's stand with it. Well, I never get done. Okay. But I want to encourage somebody because, listen, we live in an hour and a time where if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it can very be easily let fear begin to reign in your heart. You don't need to let fear reign. You need to walk out of this building today. You need to get in your car. You need to go in your, into your week knowing and understanding that I belong to a kingdom that even though from a natural perspective 
and maybe from other people's narratives, it seems like we're losing, we're losing ground. Can, do you realize that the Bible, if you believe the Bible, Isaiah prophesied of Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6, and it talked about that there would be a son that would be born and the government would be up on his shoulders. And watch what Isaiah says. Go read it this week, Isaiah 9. The increase of his kingdom would be no end. In other words, it don't matter what your natural eye looks like, that when Jesus comes to inaugurate the kingdom, it's not going to lose ground. It's only going to gain. We haven't lost ground, folks, unless Jesus stopped being God. The scripture says the increase would be no end. What are you preaching, Jeffrey? Stop looking with your natural fallen perspective and begin to see through eyes of the kingdom and understand that you are like Peter said a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you don't need to hang your head you need to walk into your life walk into your home walk onto your job walk into your community understanding that I am a victor through Jesus Christ and he sent me here not to judge damn and condemn but he sent me here to pick a towel and a water basin and to wash feet and to love people and not to point out their flaws and not to point out their wrong theology and not to point out how bad they are and not to point this out and that out we are called to go into our world with a water and a towel and say hey i love you i don't care if you don't look like me smell like me think like me i'm here to wash your feet i'm here to tell you about a jesus that loves you even though you may be be far away from him even though your life might be a wreck I have a Jesus that loves you he's got a plan for your life okay y'all got a singer I'm gonna just keep on preaching come on if you are thankful you belong to a kingdom like that I want you to close your eyes right now lift your hands in this room if you're at home watching I want you just to close your eyes in the living room raise your hands and I want you to thank your heavenly father that you are called for such a time as this that we belong to a kingdom that is not controlled by who's in the office of White House or in the halls of Congress but we are a people that march under the banner of Jesus Christ and we will look up to the hills from which cometh our help our help doesn't come from Congress our help doesn't come from society our help comes from him and him alone and we are victorious through him come on let's sing to Jesus right now let's let our faith rise in this building right now
In 21 years, I have never stood on the subwoofer. <laughs> I'm going to practice before I do it for real, but I'm going to figure this out. Hey, I want to change up the benediction just a hair this morning. I want to start out of Ephesians 1. So this is my prayer for you today. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.